And she and realized he, that he's got it memorized. After 15 it. years, he has this letter still memorized <laughs> after he wrote it on the battlefield. So that, Look, that if that's not romantic, <laughs> you're, a, you're a stone-hearted person. <laughs> that was touching even just to hear Jackson describe. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, or whenever you happen to be enjoying this episode of No Script, another unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. And we're coming at you today. We are talking about one of the treasures, not just of dramatic literature, but of literature, world literature. This is Cyrano de Bergerac by Edmund Rostand. Yeah, this is a, I'm very excited about this play. This is one of my favorites of the classical genre. I've done many of the monologues from this play in different auditions and competitions. So I'm, I'm very excited to get to talk about this one. Interestingly, this is my dream role. I have really? I have several characters who I'd love to play. Like I'd, I'd love to be the husband in Rabbit Hole. That's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, playing Sancho in Man of La Mancha, which I got to do in college with you, Jackson. That was hey. one of my dream roles. But Cyrano de Bergerac is just right up there in my my all time. Would love to do it. I, I I couldn't if that were happening near me. I couldn't even bear to choose to direct it. As much as I'd love to direct it, yeah. I would have to have my shot to play Cyrano first out of the way. And I thought, I was I was thinking that I might get to do it in college. It came pretty close. I think there were some talks about it. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it did not come to fruition before Alas. the end of my time there, but I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful. It's a hard play to produce, but I'm still hopeful that near me someday I will have the chance to do my Cyrano. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and if if that were to happen, I would be in a long line of people to play this uh, iconic role, this crazy, dramatic, insane role. Um, Walter Hampton, who is one of the first people to play the uh, role on Broadway, um, it's one of the longest running Broadway productions that he played that in the early 1900s. Who else? Christopher Plummer starred in one of the musical adaptions. Kevin Klein recently did a Broadway run in 2007 as the famous Cyrano, Richard Chamberlain. So lots of people over the years have done it. The play is from all the way back in 1897. It is French. So we are working from an English adaption of a French play. This adaption that we read for this podcast was by Louis Untermeyer. Uh, there, there's a couple different ones that people use all the time, but this is the one that we read for the podcast. So French play, English translation, long-time mainstay of classic stages and of people who just love this kind of beautiful literature. It uh, was, many of you might know, uh, adapted sort of into a comedy starring Steve Martin called Roxanne. The movie is sort of only loosely connected to the plot of Cyrano. It's mostly just tied in the fact that there's a guy that has a big nose. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, Steve Martin did that movie adaption. There's, of course, a couple of great movie productions of Cyrano out there as well. 
Yeah, and so we are uh, going to jump right into it. We're, as we always say, it, you'll get a lot out of this conversation having read the play or interacted with the play, but we like to synopsize right at the top so that we have a little bit to know what's going on. And I got the short straw today, so I get to pronounce all the French names. Um, and I am very excited because this might be our first episode where I will not be the only one struggling <laughs> to say these names right. I kid you not, before we started recording this episode, we pulled up a <laughs> Quizlet flashcards on the yep. pronunciation. So I, I just, just so you know, that's what we're running from. That's yeah. what we went with. We're pronouncing it as the some random guy on flashcards on Quizlet told us to. So <laughs> if we're terribly, terribly butchering them, which I'd say there's like probably a greater than forty percent chance that that's yeah. happening, yep. just you just have to cut us some slack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm gonna try to make my French Canadian side of my heritage proud and get some of this done. <laughs> so uh, the play centers around Cyrano de Bergerac, who is a a uh, very hmm, vivacious individual. He is a cadet in the French army. He is a sword master, a poet, a, a man quick of wit, and uh, a, a romantic as well throughout the play. And it kind of travels through, I believe it's four, or it's only four or five scenes long, at least in this translation, that's the way it's split up uh, right. into it, acts. It's, it's five acts or scenes. Right. Yep. Kind of, uh, you know, lights up, lights down is the act. Um, so it centers around him and then the story of the uh, his, his, his great love that winds up uh, not coming to full fruition, or maybe it does, and we'll kind of get into into what that uh, exactly means. But uh, he loves his, what is described as his cousin in the play, uh, a woman named Roxanne. Uh, Madeline Roxanne, I think. He spends uh, the, the first part of the play kind of telling his friend that he has fallen in love with her. Well, just before he has fallen in love with her, she in turn has fallen in love with Christian. Christian de Nouviette, um, who is... Uh, the uh, newest addition to the cadets, and she asks Cyrano to. We'll get into. We'll, we're going to get into all of the different beats of this and break them down. But the the broad stroke is she asks Cyrano to protect her new love, and he is forced to take this new love under his wing and both protect him, but also coach him on the intricacies of uh, poetic verse and and love. Because Roxanne and Cyrano, like Jackson said, are cousins. I mean, they're distant right. cousins. But they also kind of grew up together. They they have some scenes where they share some childhood memories. So they have a pretty close relationship. So mm -hmm. Roxanne feels comfortable coming to Cyrano and saying, look, there's this guy who's new to your unit, new to your group of soldiers, Christian. Can you blah, 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 protect him, teach him, lead him, because I'm in love with him. Yeah, she she for especially the beginning of the play and most of the play kind of sees Cyrano as a brother figure, kind of an older brother figure. I think there is an age gap between them a bit, and um, and so she yeah she she enlists his help with that. Well, of course there are a couple of infamous scenes or or really just famous scenes. There is a balcony scene, uh, much like a Romeo and Juliet, but perhaps a little bit more tongue in cheek. Um, that we'll cover, and uh, of course the the final scene, the culmination scene, which we'll get to eventually, all couched in this very rich language. 
I think that is probably the biggest takeaway. This play took me probably double the length of time to read for a play of its normal page length because it is such rich language that takes time to follow. Um, They... uh, there, but it is full of like you know great smackdowns that take a long time to develop. Cyrano is the king of wit in his group of friends, and so there are a number of times when people try to come at him with that. But he right, kind of- I, I mentioned the Steve Martin adaption, sort of called Roxanne, and while the movie isn't a isn't really a great representation of the plot, it is a good representation of Cyrano's character. You yeah. can watch on at least right now on YouTube or wherever a clip from the movie where Steve Martin is in a bar and somebody insults his nose, and then that scene is a pretty close mirror of a scene that happens in the play Cyrano de Bergerac, where as a response, Cyrano basically says, "What you just said, I." had a big nose i have this enormous honking nose and that's the best you could come up with let me do you one better and proceeds to for five minutes ten minutes just go through insult after insult of his own nose in these creative (laughs) imaginative ways he's the king of wit the king of you know dueling with words back and forth not always insults but always sharp and quick-witted. That's what he's all about. So if you watch this scene, it's the, the, the exact insults aren't the same because they've totally updated the language and stuff, but the spirit of the scene is almost exactly the same. And yeah. it's awesome. It's, a, it's hilarious even now. I watched it just today, and I was laughing out loud <laughs> in the office. Yeah. And, he, and there's multiple times where Cyrano does this. He is, so his nose, we, I forgot to mention kind of in the synopsis, the big thing about Cyrano, and likely you all know this, is he has an enormous nose. And both to the uh, benefit and determent of him, people make fun of his nose occasionally. And uh, a lot of to do within the cadets. The, the group that he's in is uh, the cadets from Gascony. And they're under a, uh, ooh, here we go. Here's another fun name. Carbon Castel Jaluk, or Jaluk. Um, we're going to call him Carbon. Carbon, from now on. We're going to do first, we're on a first name basis with all these characters from now <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> um, but they're all from Gascony, which is a specific region of France and comes with a very specific accent um, and temperament, apparently. And Additionally, everyone in this cadet group are all barons, so they're all somewhat noble. They all have family crests and uh, great honor that they are protecting, and um, and and yet he sits as the king of this group, and they have all sorts of like warnings for the newbies coming in. Never even mention his nose. Don't talk about smelling or something distinct when you come in. He's killed people before for even mentioning, his, even saying that their nose were weird. He thought it was an inferred. <laughs> <laughs> insult against right him. yeah the the general consensus is that Cyrano is very sensitive about his nose which is an interesting gossip to go around given that Cyrano talks about his nose pretty frequently without much shame it feels like in his more deeper personal moments he'll reveal that he doesn't believe he'll ever find love because he's so ugly because of this nose etc but when he's in his quick-witted jousting mode he's he's the first one to make a joke about his nose mhm he it kind of goes along with so 
Cyrano has this this pride, right? Uh, before the show, we were talking about panache uh, being a word that is often used for 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 what he has, which is this this uh, this front, this kind of mm, masquerade. Maybe is is a little too. He uses that word to describe himself sometimes, but it maybe it'll be too far than I want to go because it is a. a uh, I think he believes personally in this in this front that he's putting on of bravery, of wit, of unassailability. Um, However, I think he also kind of, I think maybe his tragic flaw is that he uses it too much. I think he uh, draws people into these engagements uh, with his wit by way of forcing them into talking about his nose. Infamously, in the first scene, he gets this poor guy completely turned around uh, from from arguing with him by just saying, I think what you're saying is because of my nose. And Yeah. And <laughs> well, are you are you talking about my nose? No, I'm not I talking think you're about talking. Your nose at all. <laughs> why why are you looking at my nose? Well, I'm I, not. Well, I'm why aren't right you ground. looking at my nose? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at it. It's a huge nose. <laughs> Stuff like that is just uh, it just rolls really through the whole play for Cyrano. And and while he does go on a journey, the journey is sort of it's sort of like the journey of being unchanged. Like, it's sort of like the journey of Cyrano is can he endure this five acts worth of turmoil, comedic turmoil, and still come out at the end and at the end of his life as the play ends being the same old Cyrano? That's sort of the test. Yeah, can this... Not just this, you know, individual person, but this type of person persist in the world uh, anymore. Um, I think, I think, uh, contemporarily, that is what it is asking: is does this, does this level of commitment to uh, pride and um, and the ability to stand on your own, on your own, apart from everyone, have the capacity to survive in a very much larger world can will his values be uh, overcome by the end of the play or not right you know this this comparison is made by one of the characters in the play that Cyrano is sort of like Don Quixote yeah. really they might be two sides of the same coin which is a person that lives in this imagined world where they are an unassailable, I love that you used that word earlier, I'm sure we'll use it again, this unassailable protector just has to go after the world's ills. You know, the characters all the time make fun of how Cyrano is always trying to overturn the hypocritical and poke holes in this fake logic of the world because he sees it as this, this world that is wrong and he's the one who can correct it. Cyrano falls on like maybe the cynical side of that coin and Don Quixote falls on the hopeful side of that coin, but it's the same coin. I think they're really much similar characters. I'd agree. I think like, just just his ability to continually persist even in the face of of uh, poverty great odds uh right away at the beginning there's this scene where he is uh <laughs> basically running off this actor who he doesn't like running him off the stage it is an incredible introduction to a character one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. in literature the, yeah. the, the opening scene of this play if you've read it or seen it you know is this basically conglomeration of audience as they come in to see a play. 
and all different kinds of people happen. And the playwright, Mr. Austin, put way more work than I ever have into <laughs> developing these subplots that happen just for these throwaway audience characters right. as all this stuff comes in and there's pickpockets and orange girls and people stealing wigs. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff happening in this <laughs> 10 pages of just right. almost nonsense, like no, not impactful to the plot at all, but so interesting. And mm-hmm. what, what you slowly learn is that some of Cyrano's friends and enemies are wondering if he's going to show up because he has forbidden this actor <laughs> who, let's see if I can take a shot at it, hey, hey. Uh, Montfleury, that's yeah. probably not right, but that's my guess. Montfleury, <laughs> he, Cyrano has forbidden this actor from acting for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actor is going to show up anyway. Now, why does Cyrano have that authority? He doesn't. He doesn't. And, and no, but he's not like the arbiter <laughs> of theaters in the region. He just right. is a guy that said, hey, don't act for 30 days. Right. That'd be like me, I don't know, going up to uh, Ashton Kutcher or something. I mean, like, you better not be in a movie for two years. I'm right. going to find you. <laughs> but everybody heard about it, and so now everybody's wondering, is Cyrano going to show? And, and some of them take bets, and eventually the play starts, and they all say, oh, darn, well, he didn't show. But then the actor who is supposed, supposed to not be on the stage comes out, and Cyrano stands up in the middle of the crowd and says, yep. I warned you, and they go into this <laughs> back and forth. I mean, it's just so great, this mm-hmm. sense of, like, you, you start to get the sense of anticipation of the character arriving. It's like Hamilton. It's like the opening I, scene I, of Hamilton. I totally agree. I would absolutely go see a Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> musical of this play because it is so alike to Hamilton. Even like it is everything but a rap battle just because there's no hip hop in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like really. They, Cyrano is like the perfect combination of Don Quixote and and Lin-Manuel's <laughs> Hamilton, right? He's yeah. got that Don Quixote sense of living in a fake world. Mm-hmm. And he's got that Hamilton sense of needing to challenge and outwit every single person he ever meets. Yep, absolutely. Even down to like he he fences in this first scene. That is the one thing that um, kind of barbarically that does give him the credit to uh, do these sorts of things is he is an amazing swordsman. Um, in, in the community at large, he is known as someone you do not want to get into a duel with. And that's why people don't want to insult his nose. That's why people don't stand up to him is eventually he'll just duel you, which is completely acceptable at this time in Paris, and he'll win and he might kill you. Also completely right. acceptable at this time I think he says at Paris. one point, you know, if somebody insults my nose, I'll trounce them with my words. And mm-hmm. if they prove that they're equal to me in wit, then we'll see who's equal in steel. Yeah, exactly. Yep, and so there's this scene right away at the beginning, kind of after this, eventually some of the lords try to, you know, say, well, this guy's just really a peasant. We'll, we'll, we'll get in there and match his wit. And uh, the infamous uh, uh, scene about telling them how to insult his nose happens, but eventually this devolves into a duel in which he r- recites, composes a poem in rhyme to be matched exactly at the point when he will win the fight. Um, to or to be uh, the climax will come at the exact moment that he makes the final right. strike. Every for this every fight. stanza of this poem that he's just making up as he goes ends with something about how at the end of the refrain he'll strike home. 
Yeah. And sure enough, he they fight for a while, and at the end of the refrain of the poem, he strikes home. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a very specific type of poem with a very specific numbers of stanzas and stuff. So it's not like he was just waiting till he won. Right. He, I mean, he perfectly timed and choreographed these things to intersect. Mm-hmm. And maybe kills him. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely stabs him, so, and he's like helped off stage. So, and then so I then, mean, healthcare so, wasn't great at the time. I have to imagine being stabbed in the chest is probably a death sentence, right? Probably not great. I mean, this was was a marquee, so maybe he has money. Uh, <laughs> money to what? Like leech him better? <laughs> yeah, better better leeches. The the water temperature will be a little warmer. Uh, oh, yikes. <laughs> I'm glad we live now. Yeah. So then this this scene kind of finishes with all this gallantry. He pays the the owner of the theater all the money that he has to give back to the audience now who didn't get to see the play that they were in. But then uh, D'Artagnan, who is, uh, you know, of uh, the Three Musketeers fame, he comes up and says, that was a well-fought duel, man, and I'm a bit of a judge. So there's all these kind of weird, like, cultural references being thrown in. It's great. Yeah, actually, one of the things that critics over the years have noted is how meticulously researched the play is. Yeah. Because, I don't think that we've said this yet, Cyrano de Bergerac was a real person. He mm-hmm. was a novelist and a duelist at the time. The play is not a biographical play. No, it's, no, no. It's like sort of loosely related. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, there was this guy named Cyrano at the time that wrote cool books and dueled people. I should write a play about a character named Cyrano who writes cool stuff and duels people. Kind of sounds like, a lot like Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like that, really. <laughs> but But even less related to his life. But yes. with, with the details of the time period were very meticulously researched down to like the names of the counts and the barons and the noblemen are correct. Yeah. Mhm. It, it it is remarkably well researched and eventually the war the war that is fought is all, you know, true and so yes. Very very good uh Edmund Rostand was clearly Really, this play was very important to him in a lot of ways. He combined a lot of things. He combined Shakespeare into it. Just and, think uh, about the amount of work that goes into writing a script like this. I mean, not only the research of all the context and culture and names and things like that, but even just the writing of the lines. The lines are incredibly interwoven and complex. There's tons of characters on stage at every moment. And so all of the characters' interjections and things are aligned and choreographed. But set aside all of that and just think about the time commitment and craft to write Cyrano's lines. Even if if Rostan said, I'm going to farm out all the lines that Cyrano says, just that, that whoever wrote those lines, <laughs> that would have taken so long and so much work and so much mm-hmm. careful crafting. I mean, the, the the play is just a remarkable feat just of literature. Yeah. Set aside the fact that it's played as a beautiful play. Just as a feat of writing, it's impressive. Yeah, and all the knowledge of literature at large as well. I mean, this is a classic, clearly a classically trained individual who has a lot of knowledge of Greek mythology, of history in general, of how words work together. So yes, absolutely, a lot of work was put into it. Um, and and I ca- love that it it follows sort of a a really classic plot structure. You know, it it has come to be known as this unique, wonderful feat and this unique, wonderful character, but the core... The core plot structure is such a timeless classic piece, right? It's somebody... It's a love triangle. 
Two guys yeah. love one gal. Who's going to win? And then it adds this other piece, which I'm sure you'll recognize from even TV shows nowadays, where one guy has to help the other guy woo her. Right. And so, like, the scene where Cyrano's hiding in the bushes, whispering to Christian what to say <laughs> to Roxanne, that scene has happened in any number of television shows I've seen. Some yeah. variation of a scene just like that. Nowadays, maybe they've got, like, an ear chip in, and they're being fed what to say on, like, a mm-hmm. first date or something. I mean, that kind of... that that. That framework for a scene happens all the time. Yeah. And I don't know that I, I'm not saying necessarily that Rostin invented it, but I do think it's interesting that he played on this classic framework for a play and built this unique, beautiful, unwieldy, crazy piece of literature from <laughs> this classic framework structure. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Like even down to like we've all seen a movie where uh, you know someone buys a really nice gift for someone, and or uh, and or like you know the TV show Friends. This happens where someone buys a really good gift that's perfect, and then the boyfriend that of the person who they were hoping to give it to buys a terrible gift, and so they're like, no, just give her this. She'll like this a lot better, and tell her it's from you. Whatever. Like, that absolutely happens in this play. He he writes this really... Right away at the beginning, uh, Cyrano writes this uh, beautiful letter to Roxanne explaining his feelings because he's worried that he will not be able to say them. He's actually afraid that he'll just run away. And so he writes this beautiful letter, and when it comes out that she's in love with someone else, uh, with Christian, he gives the letter to him. To And that's how this... <laughs> oh, a large rigmarole starts, is his written words are given to Christian to speak on uh, on from his lips, his uh, prettier face will uh, deliver the words from uh, Cyrano's prettier soul, <laughs> I guess. Right, and th- there's, this, there's this exchange where Cyrano laments that because he's so ugly, he's never really going to be able to woo a, a woman. But he has all this great use of language and confidence and chivalry, and, but mostly wit. The ability yeah. to just wax eloquent about love, about her beauty, blah, blah, blah. But he is lamenting the fact that he's never going to be able to do that because he's so ugly. And then when Christian says, well, I got this gal who's in love with me, but she wants somebody who's smart. I'm beautiful, but I'm dumb. <laughs> Cyrano goes, I can help with that. And they sort of fuse into one person, Christian Mm -hmm. being like the physical part and Cyrano being the brain. And together they woo Roxanne and it culminates eventually in Christian wanting to Cyrano to reveal that he's been the one all along and Roxanne will be forced to choose. Right. Yep. There's this, the, the, the scene... The the you're absolutely right that the uh, at the drop of a pin he can adapt to the situation of of what kind of wit to use the scene beneath the window the this iconic scene in theater right so Christian goes to Roxanne's to try to woo her and um, he gets Cyrano to uh, well well wait, first he tries to say that he will go and actually woo her with his own wit. Because, because Cyrano's been writing letters to her pretending to be Christian. So they've sent several letters now, love letters, that Cyrano's written. And Christian has finally said, well, I can do this. I'll go <laughs> yep. woo her myself. I don't need your words. So right. he goes and... And he just bombs terribly. He just <laughs> says nothing more than I love you, basically, and I adore you. And <laughs> just bores, bores Roxanne to tears. And she leaves. She goes inside. And so he's like, Cyrano, get over here. I need your help. 
help. <laughs> and um, they have this great scene where Christian is standing beneath the window, very, you know, um, uh, the balcony scene, right, from Romeo and Juliet, and he's trying to woo Roxanne. And um, <laughs> he starts crashing again, and Cyrano begins, like, making, I imagine, making hand gestures and prompting him on how to say these these beautiful, eloquent phrases from the dark, which then also kind of culminates to the point where Christian just really can't keep up with Roxanne. Roxanne's wit very much surpasses um, Christian's poor attempts. And so they switch places. And in the dark with, you imagine, a pretty wide-brimmed hat, Cyrano speaks uh, the words for Christian, uh, embodying, be, being, he, he gets to stand in front of Roxanne and say the words as if he were Christian, obscured by the night and his subterfuge. Right. I mean, it, it... If that sounds familiar, you've probably seen something like it. Like right now in my brain, I'm kind of remembering that there might be an episode of like the sweet life of Zach and Cody. Sure. Yeah. Like almost the same thing happens and whichever one of them is the dumber one has to like put in an earpiece so that the smarter one can help him impress a smart girl. Like <laughs> that I don't know that Rostan created it, but it is a classic a meta narrative for a love triangle. And Rostan has taken that and created this just wildly unique character. And then there's Christian, who I think is just confusing left and right because he, hmm. he, he claims to be dumb. And then when he tries to impress Roxanne, he doesn't have anything to say. And yet he's, he's not, he's not without wit. He doesn't sound dumb in conversation. He doesn't, he doesn't lack the bravery to be witty. For example, in the scene that takes place in the bakery, this is act two, uh, Christian is new to this unit of soldiers, um, from Gascony and he's not, uh, a Gascon. And yeah. so he's getting picked on a little bit and everybody's also telling him, don't mess with Cyrano's nose. Don't say anything about it. He'll kill you. He really doesn't like it. <laughs> and so Christian says to like the commander, like, well, what should I do? These guys all hate me. I mean, what, what can anybody do? I'm not from Gask. You know, I, I'm not one of them. And the commander basically says, well, you just got to prove that you're not a wimp. They think everybody who's not from Gaskin is a wimp. So right. you got to just prove that you're not. And so Christian just starts to just say things about Cyrano's nose. Right. Cyrano's telling this. I mean, it's hilarious. Cyrano's mm -hmm. telling the story of how he defeated a hundred men, which did he or did he not? I'm not sure. It's not but, clear. <laughs> uh, it's not clear. They but he's telling people, the story. But... And basically at every point he can, Christian brings up his nose. Like, yeah. uh, this isn't exactly a line, but Cyrano will be like, I turned around and found there was someone right there. We were. And Christian will go, you were nose to nose. <laughs> and he does it like 10 times. So, yep. that, I mean, that's witty. And funny mm -hmm. and engaging and not at all stupid. So yeah. this this sort of odd dichotomy of Christian I find pretty interesting. And he's also smart enough to realize what's going on by the end of his life. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sure, after like a month and a half of Cyrano well, writing. <laughs> but but he, he's not duped, though. He's not right. duped, right? I mean, the realization comes to him that she was probably really in love with um, Cyrano, and he's forced to make an intelligent, mature decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that decision is... So, uh, this all happens on the on the battlefield at the end of the play, right? Uh, or near the end of the play, the second to last act of the play. Yeah, the fourth act. Um, and... Uh, 
They are in a war with Spain. They're besieging a city, but they are also besieged by another army that showed up. Oops. And um, they are starving at this battlefield. Uh, Cyrano, however, is still in high spirits, and he has taken to riding Roxanne uh, twice a day and riding through enemy lines to deliver the letter and kind of forgetting to tell Christian about it. <laughs> because remember, he's pretending to be Christian. Right, yes, yes. The he's letters are from Christian's Christian. Name. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Roxanne shows up at the battle in a carriage with uh, the baker, who we will get to eventually because he is a great character. Um, uh, da, 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 da. It's a uh, Ragano. Um uh, and and she brings food That's for everyone. That's the baker's everyone. name, Ragano. Yes, the baker's name is Ragano, and uh, she shows up with food for everyone and feeds everyone. And uh, <laughs> right away, as she as she shows up, Cyrano goes to Christian and is like, "Hey, man, we got to talk before you talk to her at all because I've been writing her like um, twice a day." Uh, <laughs> so so if she mentions the letters, just be cool. <laughs> just be cool about it. <laughs> So, and she begins to describe how she has now fallen in love with him for so much more than his good looks and that it is now his soul that she also loves and that love is even deeper and more true and if he were to be completely ugly uh, she would now love his love him all even even then in the face of that ugliness and um Christian begins to figure out that she has fallen in love with uh, the words and the soul of Cyrano um, while she has fallen in love with him himself. And so he goes to Cyrano and confronts him and says, you need to tell her what happened because <laughs> now this is your fault. Um, and you need to tell her and let her make, and let her choose between us and let her make an informed decision about it. And then he, he goes off and he leaves it to Cyrano to try to <laughs> tell her and reveal what has happened that and, they have. And that's, I think, where I credit Christian because you know the 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 stereotype that's not quite a good word but the common presumption of his character is that he's just sort of dumb dumb and pretty i think i've even said that in this podcast um <laughs> but that's wrong is i think what i'm saying and i think if you play the character that way that's wrong what what he really lacks is a uh, an immediate an ability to just improvise words, mm-hmm. which is, of course, what Cyrano has. In a lot of other ways, Cyrano and Christian are much aligned. They're much alike. In fact, um, in the in the scene that I was describing before, when Christian is making fun of his nose, once Cyrano kind of blows up about it and forces everybody to leave, Cyrano kind of hugs him and says, like, you're a brave guy. I really respect the way that you did that. I would have done the same thing there. Sure. You know, they have a similar sort of romanticism and earnestness, a similar uh, willingness to be hopeful about everything in the world regardless, a similar sense of needing to make, like, real decisions about the world. Mm-hmm. They just sort of traded. Christian got the good looks, and Cyrano got... It's not brains. It's just, like, a quick wit. Right. That's true. I think though that I think you may be giving Cyrano a little bit more credit for his for his like of him because he was just That's told true. in the scene prior by Roxanne to protect him. So basically, That's true. That's why he doesn't kill him is that right. Roxanne said, uh, "Don't hurt my 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 lover." I, right. He's uh, I'm in love with him. Yeah. And I think I think though you're right. He is he is an uh Christian is an honorable soldier, right? Um uh it seems it seems like his uh some of his 
the the finer qualities of romance are not available to him. Um, he doesn't. For instance, in the in the balcony scene, he is very fixated on kissing her by the end. And Cyrano is 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 like, you're moving way too fast. You gotta chill out, dude. <laughs> She's <laughs> this is this is what romance is about. Um, oh, but see, I think that you're giving Cyrano too much credit right back at you <laughs> Ooh, okay, because why, why, why doesn't why? why doesn't he want Christian to kiss her? It's not because he's moving too <laughs> fast or it's not romantic to kiss. It's because Cyrano doesn't want him to kiss her because Cyrano's in love with her. <laughs> You're so right. Like, because like um, <laughs> later in that scene, and this is, if you haven't read it, this will sound crazy, but later in that scene, uh, Roxanne and Christian get married, and uh, the the commander that's also in love with Roxanne, we probably won't get much into it, but there's this other guy that's in love with her, and he yep. comes and discovers that they've been married and says, quick, your unit, you're going out to war tonight as, as punishment and revenge, so you don't get to celebrate your wedding night. Ha, ha, ha. And Cyrano kind of privately goes... Oh darn! Oh shoot! I'm real bummed about that for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you're all right. There's there's so much of that like turnaround uh, in this play. Like with Cyrano, Cyrano just kind of really has to ride this storm wave of emotions because it's his words and she is falling for his words and what what uh the kind the romance that he feels for her but it's go it's going about through another person entirely so there's a there's this great scene where he is trying to he, he shows up to Roxanne's house uh to visit her and she begins expounding on how great Christian's writing is and he starts it trying to kind of downplay him, right? Like he's 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 still hoping to talk her out of being in love with Christian. And he starts with like, oh, I know that she she recites some of the words from the letters he's written, and he starts. And, and trying, it's actually Cyrano's writing, right? Exactly. Uh, and he starts trying to be like, no, that's not great. Oh, he's being a little bit pedantic. But then uh, eventually he's like, yeah, dang, those are really good words. <laughs> I yeah. mean, no, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. His, he's just such a funny character in everything that he does. And you're right. He's in this roller coaster of emotions of basically coaching and actively causing someone else to be in love with the person that he's in love with. And yet he's still... It's it's almost like he, she's in love with him, but not quite. Right. He like he gets to. I think there's a scene. Uh, so in that balcony scene, eventually Christian does get to climb up and kiss her. And Cyrano has this moment where he remarks on the fact that you know he's he's experiencing this just terrible sadness watching someone else kiss this woman that he's in love with, and yet he also understands that she's really kissing his words. Christian mm -hmm. didn't have anything to do with it. So he lives in this, it's actually sort of a Christian phraseology, but he lives in this state of like already, but not yet. Yeah. She is sort of already in love with me, but not, but not. It's, it's almost, but not quite. Right. Yeah, I can't actually be realized because he's, you know, hiding in, hiding backstage it, of this. And it creates some beautifully poignant moments, like perhaps my favorite moment in the play. This is the very last scene. So what has happened is that just after Christian says, you need to tell Roxanne and she needs to choose, Cyrano starts to tell her, but then Christian is killed. And Cyrano has a moment where he reflects and says, the game is over. I can never tell her. I have mm -hmm. to preserve her image of her 
you know, this perfect lover that she had, her husband, her her true love. I can't take that away from her, and I can't take his. La- I can't make his last moments the realization that he's lost Roxanne. So without, t- he doesn't tell Roxanne anything, but he tells Christian right before Christian dies. He says, "Look, uh, I told her, and she picked you." And that's how Christian dies. And then, then we learn that they that he, that they live fifteen years like that. That yeah. she has, she's lost. She uh, uh, Roxanne goes on to become a nun, or or not quite. She lives in a in a, a monastery. Yeah, and she she wears black grieving clothes for fifteen years. And fifteen years later, Cyrano gets attacked and is dying. And as he's dying, he says uh, he still hasn't told her. He says, Roxanne, let me read that letter that Christian wrote you right before he died. Can I read it? And he reads it out loud, and there's just this beautiful, poignant moment where he is re- he's dying, mm-hmm. and he's reading the letter that he wrote about his death to the woman he loves. Right. And there's this level of dramatic irony where she still thinks it was this other guy that wrote it, but he finally gets to say it to her as it's true for him. I mean, it's yep. it's an incredible layering of things. Mm-hmm. And in the what a beautiful way for that to wind up being discovered. She discovers she discovers that it was him writing it, both because I think probably innately with him saying it, certainly there is some proof that it was actually his words. But also during that whole scene, talk about a beautiful moment of theater. Night is falling. Uh, slowly, kind of uh, for for the for the light tech folks out there, this is like a you know ten minute fade of the light that you just get to push go and watch the end of the play. Um, and this light just slowly begins to fade away. Dark darkness begins to fall more and more. And eventually, the way the way that we know that Roxanne knows that these are Cyrano's words is she says, "It's too dark to read. How are you reading this still?" And she <laughs> and realizes he, that he's got it memorized. After 15 it. years, he has this letter still memorized <laughs> after he wrote it on the battlefield. So that, Look, that if that's not romantic, <laughs> you're, right. a, you're a stone-hearted person. <laughs> that was touching even just to hear Jackson describe. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just and a beautiful yet, And scene. yet, Cyrano goes to his death uh, denying that it was him all along. right. Yep. He he never he never admits it. Roxanne discovers it and she says it was you, it was you, it was you and they have this whole back and forth about I, she she knows. It's not like he's convincing her. She knows it was him now, but he mm. denies it flatly until his death. And that's part of his, you know, we've said the panache. It's this Ow. French word that means like a plume and it describes sort of a reckless bravery, like sort of a foolhardy, optimistic charge into the battle kind of attitude. This this play actually was the play that used that word that became part of sort of older English vocabulary. And and, and that's Cyrano to the end, you know. He doesn't make logical decisions often. Very rarely does he do the smart like the the obvious good decision thing. Right. Like in his dying moments, he might admit finally, yes, it was I. I've loved you all this time. I have this final chance to tell you. But his determination to boldly go, to to struggle it out to the end, means that he never gets to tell her. But she still knows. Right. In the face of such pain, too, I think we see that every moment that he sticks to his guns, right? So in the in the beginning moment, he kicks the actor out, he pays the guy for the theater, and yet we discover 
that was his inheritance that he paid the guy for the theater. He has yeah, no more he has money. He has no now. money left. <laughs> right. He has zero money. Um, he goes and, for the and, gallon. And, and what is it? Let's just pause at that moment there because that's one of my favorite lines. Yeah. He, he, he throws his leftover money and says, here, I'll pay you back because I kicked this actor out. So now you got to pay back all these tickets. And his friend, LaBruce, says, well, what are you going to do? You've run out of money. That was really dumb. And Cyrano <laughs> says something like, yes, but it was a remarkable moment. Yeah. It was a great, it was a great metaphor. It was a cool <laughs> image. It's like, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. But People that was, that doesn't make it the smart decision. <laughs> I think yep. that's maybe what I was trying to get at earlier with the comparisons between Cyrano and Christian. Because it's not just that Cyrano's the smart one and the ugly one and Christian's the dumb, pretty one. Because really, in some ways, Christian is a lot smarter than Cyrano in sort of like worldly mm. good decision making. Sure, Cyrano sure. Cyrano does not make good common sense decisions. In that way, <laughs> he's kind of dumb. Yeah, like it, absolutely. It's, it, no matter who you are, it's dumb to throw all of your money in the world out for just like a cool moment. Right. Right? I mean, like that's dumb. Yeah. Or just like throughout the throughout the play, this happens more and more. Like he refuses food uh, for the sake of uh, saving face in front of, front of this woman who is offering him food. Then as soon as she leaves, he steals all the food. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, further on, you know, he he runs in he he rides through battle lines to deliver these letters to Roxanne so that she gets them twice a day. Um, Kind of dumb, but incredibly romantic. Yes, he rides. There's this other great. There's so much shade thrown in this scene between, um, uh, especially Cyrano and De Guiche, um, who is who is a character we've barely talked about. He is kind of the one of the main antagonists of the play. Um, uh, he has he has some redeeming qualities, but not many. And um, <laughs> he he leaves aside his his mark of rank in the battlefield during one of the combats. And Cyrano, because he's about to be taken captive, and he doesn't yeah. want the people who are taking him captive to know that he's a commander, so mm-hmm. he leaves behind this like handkerchief or something that will identify him as a commander. And then yeah. they just essentially let him go with his men, or or they put it. I think actually what happens is they they put him with the rest of his men instead of keeping him solitude so that actually de Guiche ends up being able to rally his troops from captivity and escape so it actually was a great plan but what does Cyrano have to say about that? <laughs> well, Cyrano is in the firm belief that that was uh, incredibly unhonor honorish. That's a terrible word. Um, <laughs> disgraceful, not honorable, <laughs> <laughs> not honorable or disgraceful to throw aside your rank. And and the uh, Guiche kind of lets out. Well, anyone who would be dumb enough to go back and get it, I hope they have a great time going back to get this scarf. And Cyrano kind of casually hands the scarf to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, and so but, he, but that's a that's a great example of this weirdness of Cyrano because he's so quick witted and eloquent, but he 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 rags on other people for even doing things that are good decisions if they weren't like poetic, if right. they seemed cowardly. Like the Guiche, yes, he threw aside his rank, and I guess you could maybe see that as cowardly. But what that ended up allowing him to do was he got you know, held captive with the rest of his men so they could rally and escape and yeah. return to fight another day. You know, it ended mm-hmm. up being this great plan that really succeeded. But Cyrano's like, well, it didn't really look good. Yeah, exactly. It, it seemed like you were a little afraid there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yep, which is what he's all about all the way to the end. He he goes to death 
uh, this beautiful ending scene uh, post having told Roxanne his feelings. He goes to death fighting no, post death. Post Roxanne figuring it out. He That's true. Tell her. That's true. Forgive me. Yep. Post post that and uh, kind of saying goodbye to her, I guess. He does the one kind of secession he makes to the story is that I hope you at least mourn me as well as Christian for, for the loss of that love that you had. Um, just a small part of you, I hope that you mourn. After that moment, he goes and he refuses help of others as he is dying. He's dying of a kind of a Basically, a, a, a really injury. bad concussion. Um, he got hit on the head with something that someone threw at him from above, and this is how he is dying slowly. Um, and so he feels death coming, and he goes and stands by this tree, uses it as support, and draws his sword and kind of fights the phantoms of death as the lights are kind of closing on his life. Both the lights of the play, um, because, uh, again, this uh, dusk is setting in in this play, but also his life as well slowly fades away. He fights the shadows. He cries against all the things that he stands against. Uh, like falsehood and, and compromise and prejudice and treachery. I'm just reading them now. Cowardice, folly, you know, all these things, this sort of Don Quixote-esque quest yeah, against the yep. wrongs of the world. He has one final stand as he's dying with his sword out, swinging at these monstrous, you know, I'll use the Don Quixote image, these monstrous windmills, mm-hmm. right? And then he finally falls. What's interesting there is that one of the things that he that he rails against is compromise, yeah, which is like, I mean, all, most people think of compromise as a good thing. <laughs> it's like there's guy. a middle ground here between <laughs> you and me somewhere, but that's not Cyrano. No. For him, compromise is to give up on your values, to not stand a hundred percent firm in everything you do. Mm-hmm. Down to why he died. Because uh, at least at least with the play gives us the reason that he is dying is because he wouldn't give up his date with Roxanne. He should have stayed. They say that he would have lived, uh, or 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 that he has killed himself by coming to this date. His brain fever was what they were calling it. Um, right, it was- he, he gets hit in the head, and a doctor puts him in bed and says, "Look, you need to stay in bed and rest." Yep. But every Saturday for fifteen years, Cyrano has been visiting Roxanne. So rather than stay in bed and rest and potentially survive. He gets out of bed and goes to visit Roxanne one last time, potentially that being the reason why he can't recover from this injury, and <laughs> exactly. he dies. Yep. In, in, in staying true to his pride and his honor, he makes it for sure his last time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, so that- uh, why do you think it is, Jackson, that this character who is so 100% out there, firm, does everything he can for the sake of the image and the glory and the, the bravery and, and, you know, is just so confident and, and out there has to hide behind Christian to to have any kind of romantic love. It seems like that is the only area in which he is tentative or fearful. He's so forward and brave and everything else to the point of stupidity that his timidness in romantic love seems an odd contrast. Sure, I'll, I'll I'll take a I'll take a stab at it to stay on brand. Um, so, <laughs> I think there are there are two potential reasons, and which one you lean into perhaps uh, will dictate how you play Cyrano. Um, one one reason could be that he is he is probably not <laughs> he doesn't 
treat himself very well. <laughs> I mean, he's he doesn't think of himself uh, with much esteem. He, I think, in those private moments with LeBray, especially uh, who is his close friend, I think he is honestly ashamed of his looks and uh, doesn't think that he is worth um, someone uh, looking at him. Really, is the main thing because he is he thinks he is clearly worth uh, his wit is worth something uh, and his and his panache, as we have said, he is he believes highly of himself in that way, but the looks and maybe that reflects a, 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 a societal uh, value. Uh, he believes that b- looks being the best thing he doesn't have. I think that's one option and you can play with that. I think potentially a more interesting version is I think he is fully committed to uh, what Roxanne wants. Um, and I think uh, when she, he, he, he goes to her and he finally has the courage to meet with her. And he thinks when she comes, she comes with uh, a character who we haven't mentioned at all yet, her Duena, uh, which is kind of her attendant, uh, Roxanne's attendant. She goes it's everywhere like with the, her. It's like the nurse character in Romeo yeah. and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Basically ensures that she stays out of quote unquote trouble. Um, and he sends her away and he manages to get a moment alone with her and he's just about to reveal his feelings for her and she reveals that she has feelings for someone who is a cadet in the army who is very brave and full of wit and his name is Christian. Um, well, actually, <laughs> she says, and he's handsome. <laughs> oh, Cyrano yes. goes, oh, shoot, it's not me. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> yeah, and in, and in that moment where she describes who she is in love with, he switches his tack. Um Perhaps he doesn't in that moment fully commit to, yes, I'm going to help you love Christian well, but he certainly would not pursue her given that she is not in love with him. And rather, he does protect Christian. He doesn't kill Christian for making fun of his nose or challenge him to a duel. He does offer to give him these words that he has written for Roxanne and uh, and eventually help him uh, woo her and get them married. <laughs> I mean, he's the he's the reason they get married. Again, De Guiche shows up. Actually, and, uh, I, I'm not sure that he is. Roxanne, I think, kind of tricks Christian, it's it's sort of a trick, right? Because De Guiche sends a letter. Basically, the plot is De Guiche loves Roxanne or or is in lust with Roxanne yeah. and wants to sleep with her, but De Guiche is already married. So what De Guiche is going to do is marry Roxanne off to this other guy who they who he describes as being compliant, as in like he won't care if I sleep with his wife. Right. So De Guiche sends this letter ahead of him at one point, which says something to the effect of, uh, I'm, "I want, you, I'm going to marry you off to this guy. I'd like you to go get married to him. I've sent, I've sent a monk to marry you. Go ahead." And Roxanne reads the letter to herself so that she knows what it says, and then out loud says, "And I've sent this this monk so that you should marry Christian." Yeah. <laughs> and, so interestingly, it's Roxanne's wit. Who we we haven't done a lot of talking about her, but I think That's she true. matches Cyrano wit for wit. Oh, absolutely. She is the other really, really dynamic character of the play. Yes. Yeah, certainly Roxanne uh, brings that about. She runs the runs the con, as it were, to get her uh, married, and she pays the, pays the monk to do it, too. And so she runs that whole thing. What Cyrano does is he distracts De Guiche, who shows up before the the wedding ends um, and basically pretends to be a man who crashed from the moon and is experiencing earth for the first time and somehow sells it. But um, 
so he he even in that moment when he knows that he is losing her potentially forever um he in that moment again self-sacrifices to try to accomplish what she what she wants from the situation right I, I think you're right on both accounts I think that he is so truly deeply honorably in love with Roxanne that the idea of making her happy and giving her some you know, some measure of his love through this other person is a worthwhile goal for him. But I also think that you're very right about the kind of crippling self-doubt that exists around his looks. He, you know, he uses, he's, he's the, like I said before, he's the first guy who's willing to make fun of his nose, but he doesn't really let anybody else do it. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's because you imagine a person like that has grown up their whole lives r- really being mistreated because of that, that huge abnormality. You know, anybody with a physical abnormality of some sort probably has some compassion and empathy and relationship with what Cyrano's life must have been like. The constant staring, the constant whispered words. You know, Cyrano, like we've said in that scene, is the first one to say, are you talking about my nose? Right. Implying things where it might not even really exist. He's, he's, he's sort of hypersensitive about his own ugliness. And that has led to sort of this crippling doubt in part of him, which has sort of been overcompensated for in the other part of him, which is wit and personality. It's, you know, it's like because he has a, because he has, because he's lacking in one area, he's been forced to make up for it in other areas to the point where they become over-exaggerated. And you imagine, you know, if he had a little more self-assurance or maybe even a little less large of a nose and, <laughs> and that, that, that his, uh, his need to be so bold in his personality and in his, his, his social encounters might come down a little bit as well and he'd even out into a fairly normal person. But of course, that would be boring. Right. We wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't have a play named after him. <laughs> and it would, honestly, a character that was as brilliant and amazing and funny and eloquent as Cyrano, who was also gorgeous and could have any girl he ever met, is also a boring character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you have to the, the balance of the flaws and and the uh, the immense aptitude of this character, I think, absolutely is what makes him interesting. And I think that you know, Cyrano, for all his brashness, is also has some subtlety in his character. You know, he talks about he has some really nice, tender lines where he reveals what it's what it feels like to know that no one will ever love him. He even says at one point, even an ugly woman wouldn't love me. Because of, you know, this piece of him. And I also love that the playwright's use of subtlety in writing the other characters, too, like Christian. A character like this in a story like this could easily become Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Sure, yep. Like I said, just gorgeous but dumb as a rock and mean. (laughs) And and that, that could be a character that would run out basically the same plot in this play. But instead, Rostin... Invested some really nice subtlety of an honorable guy, a decent guy who really just can't, doesn't have that quick wit to be able to match someone like Roxanne, who does have a quick wit, and so he needs a little help. And he mm-hmm. writes Roxanne, who could easily just be this hullabubble up on the balcony and uh, <laughs> oh, just just talk to me about how much you love me. But instead, she's a ferocious, incredibly intelligent, bright young woman who, because she's so in love with this other bright, brilliant person, rides her carriage out into the <laughs> middle of a war. Yep. 
through like through fire. She talks through about her carriage being lines. shot at the whole time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So many rich characters. We haven't even talked about like uh, the 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 pastry cook in town is this beautiful layered character who is you know feeding poets in town uh, in exchange for their poems and writing poetry. I've, and 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 there's so much satellite as well within these the characters that rotate around that we haven't even talked about yet. But um, we are, we are alas running low on time again. Uh, we we again could continue this conversation more and more. Is there anything else you want to hit? This is such uh, there, there's well, so many I, more I themes. I do. I think I have a good capstone conversation for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it it's maybe a little broad, but I'm interested in. And in what do you think are some of the themes or the theme? I mean, what is this play on a deeper level actually about? Yeah, this maybe brings up uh, some of the uh, a conversation I was wondering if we were going to have, which is this is a, a play about romance with different romantic values than I think we currently have in our in our language for romance, right? Um, obviously, they should have told Roxanne that they were. <laughs> um, you know, doing this deception on her, and at the very least, given given her the choice, I think now, if if this play were to be written now, um, it would it would land on different ears. The especially even even the you know noble choice at the end to lie to her that it was him, and for fifteen years she lived in this lie, and then at the end tell her just in time for you to die and get out of the picture. Um, I think the values have kind of switched, and those values are old. Uh, uh, I'm going to say romantic again, but uh, think of the f- philosophical movement, not just, you know, love. Um, romance, uh, panache, these are all um, societal norms, especially in France at the time of the play that this is written, both in 1890s, I think, hearkening back to the 1600s, which is when I believe this play is set, um, that kind of looking back to another time when... when uh, romance and romantic people poets abounded throughout and and this this higher level of uh, holding yourself to a higher standard of living of of being with people and not letting that erode based on society and and uh the the pursuits of the world holding true to your beliefs no matter what in that context and it, and set within that romance time frame gives it a really um a really decisive note on which to hit that that theme i think that's so that's that's a big one for me um yeah i think you're right one. because one of the things that maybe strikes people differently now is the fact that all these other characters love cyrano so much they think of him in such high ways and reading the play in our culture, there are some really questionable things about him. And you wonder, would he really be that popular in today's world? I mean, mouthy, arrogant people don't <laughs> don't always get along very well, at right. least in my friend groups. Being a mouthy, arrogant person, right. let me say, it's not always <laughs> the most popular choice. <laughs> and so uh, that that's, that's sort of struck me as... Uh, 
you know, I don't know that a, a person like this would be popular anymore. And that might be some of what the play is talking about. You're right, sort of looking back and testing, does this ideology work anymore? But mm. I think maybe another theme of the play has to do with how you see Cyrano at the end. Because he comes and he dies. His death is a, is a death that's not even in battle like he wanted. It's because some dumb assassin dropped a wooden block on his head and now he's bleeding out and he's got brain injury. So he's not even, he, he talks about he failed in death. He comes to the end of his life and what does he have? He has nothing. He doesn't have the woman he loved. He can't even admit to her at the end of his life that he loved her. He has no money. He's hungry all the time. What has his panache and his eloquence and his boldness really gotten him? And it's nothing. But when he dies, he says, look, I didn't have any of this, but what I did have was this boldness, this plume, this sort of persona to the world. And the question I think of the play is, was that enough? It's sort of a test of a hyper extreme personality, which says that I don't need much as long as I have this commitment to being out there and being bold and brash. And 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 the question of the play is, is that enough for a person? Because Rostan doesn't give Cyrano much else. He strips away almost everything else that Cyrano has. Even to the point, you know, the heartbreaking decision Cyrano makes, which, like Jackson said, we may not agree with, but is still heartbreaking, is to say, I'm going to give away the chance to ever tell Roxanne how I felt about her because Christian died. I give up the game. I'm never going to tell her. Now, forevermore, I don't even have the letters. I can't even write to her expressing my love that way anymore, you know? He takes away so much else, leaving Cyrano with only his panache at the end of his life. He's still wielding a sword at tyranny. And then he dies. And the question of for the audience is, well, was that enough for a person? Or do you need in your life to cultivate some other things? Should you be more earnest? Should you, you know, reach out and, and share with people how you really feel instead of knocking people away with your lines of verse and your wit? Is there more to life than pride? Right? Cyrano's a very proud person. He won't accept help. He won't accept food. So at the end of his life, he's starving and impoverished. So I think the question of is, is Cyrano enough? If you were going to live your life as Cyrano, would that really be enough of a life? And some people might say, yes, Cyrano is a celebrated, perhaps one of the most celebrated characters in world literature. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is. Maybe the answer is yes, it was. But I... I don't know that the answer is yes, it was for me. Right. And that's that's the question you kind of have to ask yourself. And the play does do a little bit of that asking for you with the character of De Guiche, who we have talked about a bunch. At the end, he says, he says uh, Labray, uh, Cyrano's friend, has come and is saying how terrible Cyrano's life is. And De Guiche says, don't pity him too much. And of course, Labray is like, oh, really? What are, you, what are you talking about? And De Guiche says, don't pity him too much. The man has lived free in his thinking, free in every act not bought by greed nor bound by compromise. And I think he is actually being honest in this scene, this this antagonist to Cyrano, because he goes into what he has lived through and the guilt that he has, not for one specific event, but for a lifetime of kind of compromises and small things that he did to get where he is. De Guiche is, is a pretty successful person 15 years after the events of the play. And I think, uh, and, and he says, I would be, and yet I would be proud to press his hand. Um, I think I think de Guiche sees the life that Cyrano has lived and is envious of it. Now, I think we as the audience, I think you're absolutely right, need to critique that as well. We need to look at that life and say, what did he have? What did it get him? And 
And, what and did he Cyrano sacrifice Cyrano gets to reflect it? on that a little bit. Before his kind of final death monologue with the sword, he has a monologue where he says, you know, he says to Roxanne, you remember that night where Christian was at your was at your window? My life has sort of been like that, watching other people mount and achieve things while I sort of um, wait in the dark orchestrating things, never really achieving what I want to achieve. And part of the reason that Cyrano never does that is just his own fault. Mm-hmm. His own pride, his own standoffishness, his own panache, which can be good things, but pushed to the extreme like Cyrano, ultimately leave him without any of the life's accomplishments that he wanted. Well, there are so many more things we could talk about. I think that we we got to wrap up, though. We're getting along to the end of the time. Um, if there are more things that you all love about this play, have you been in this play? Have you... Uh, played Cyrano and noticed something if you played any of the characters and maybe you know want to fight me on Christian a little bit more uh, <laughs> I think there are plenty more conversations to be had and we'd love to have the conversation with you as well uh, you can find us on Facebook Instagram or Twitter at no script podcast or by email at no script podcast at gmail.com and we would love to continue this conversation with you as reading plays can be lonely sometimes and we like to try to encourage people to read plays and and then also converse with us with them about them as well. <laughs> <laughs> you got there at the end. <laughs> I've a lot of thems, but <laughs> I got there. Hey, if you like this episode, would you please share it on your social media platform of choice? That would really help us out. You can access the podcast on Podbean, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Apple Podcasts. You could also leave us a review. That would help us as well on Facebook or on Apple Podcasts. So we're, we're really... You know, the community of people who are listening to this, we're hoping that we can be more and more interacting with you and leaving us a comment, sharing, subscribing on Podbean. Those are great ways for you to interact and engage with us as well. And for those of you who have been listening for a while, we have some news. We are kind of jumping in and hoping to uh, invest in this podcast some more and put out some new uh, content and different variation on things. Um, And so we are uh, starting a Patreon account. So for those of you who would like to support the podcast, we have a couple of different tiers and some great new rewards that come with those tiers of patronship. Patronship in general has been in the arts forever, and uh, we'd love to continue making Making this content for right. you. It it seems only appropriate that a podcast about the theater would have patrons. <laughs> yes. Because theater has been supported by patrons for as long as there has been theater. <laughs> yes, exactly. And all of the all of the uh, uh, the donations from you all will go directly back into the show and and freeing up more resources to be able to produce more and more content for you all. So if you have a second, head on over to our Patreon, which will be linked below in this episode, and uh, check it out. See if see if it's something. But no worries, we're going to be continue making this. We do this for free, honestly. Um, <laughs> we lo- we love talking we, about. You plays. will always have access to free content, but the the podcast is not free to make. Whenever I give curtain speeches at shows, I always like to say, if it's free or if it's a donation, I'll say, you know, like the the play is free for you to attend, but doing theater is never free. And that's true of this podcast. It will always be free to listen to, but it is not free to do. So your support on Patreon lets us continue to buy scripts, to read them, to promote the podcast in different ways. Uh, Hosting our podcast on these sites comes with a cost in most cases. So we are, are looking for support from you all to 
continue to do what we love and we're hoping you love too. We've both heard lots of great feedback from people who are saying they're loving it. So we hope that you will uh, be willing to pitch in even just a little bit and support the work that we're doing. Yeah, we have the $1 amount, which gets you access. You get to be a patron of patron of the arts of the art. And uh, then uh, you get some great kind of patron-only access to things in there as well. So check it out if you have a moment. Um, otherwise, I think until next week when we'll be coming at you with another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening to No Script, and we'll see you next week. See ya. The Vicomte de Valver. Valver. I always think Javert. I know, yeah. <laughs> I read that every time. I'm like, this sounds so familiar. Yeah. Why? <laughs> oh, because it's ladies. French and one of the most popular <laughs> plays of all time is French. It's that other French play, I yeah. know. <laughs> There's two.